Hello, I'm Clay Wallace, and I'd like to invite you on a tour of my hometown. Welcome to Any Old Place, a podcast of the Capital City Museum where we explore unique places in Frankfort, Kentucky from the past and through the present. Like our last episode, we'll begin here in the grassy lot where the Fountain Place shops once stood. Today, cars drive past the green space, which takes up the equivalent of about what three blocks would be on Broadway or Main Street. Five years ago, however, these streets were all blocked off as the Capitol Plaza office tower, part of the complex containing Fountain Place, came down in a controlled demolition. I was able to watch it from my neighborhood where a crowd had gathered. I'd never seen so many cars parked on my street. The tower had always been visible in the skyline from my childhood home. When I was a kid watching the 4th of July fireworks from my front steps, the 27-story building peeked out above the trees. The day after the tower fell, I went down to look at the pile of rubble, getting probably closer than I should have. I stood under what was left of Fountain Place, at the concrete overhang at street level on Miro. 24 hours prior, it would have been dark here, like the connecting parking garage. But for the first time in 46 years, someone could stand on the west end of Miro Street and feel the sunshine. Growing up, Fountain Place was somewhere I went once a year for Expo, where artists and merchants would set up shop on its upper and lower levels. When my memory starts, in the early 2000s, Many of the units were law offices, nondescript, with closed blinds and gold-painted names on the windows. But the very last business to close its doors, only about two weeks before the complex was demolished, was neither a retail shop nor a law office. It was a dental practice, opened in 1983 by Dr. Jean Birch. I graduated from dental school in Lexington in um, 1975. And I was trying to figure out where to go, and I had two aunts and uncles that lived here, so they, Frankfurt needs a dentist, so I thought, well, I better go check it out. I'd never really been to Frankfurt. And I remember driving over here from Lexington and driving down East Main Hill, seeing those towers in the river, and I thought, daggone, what a pretty place. It was, it was uh, really amazing, so I thought, okay, I'll look around. And believe it or not, I, the fountains, just uh, Fountain Place and the convention center, was probably only three or four years old then, so it was all brand new. It was fountains and, you know, it was just spectacular. I thought, well, I'm going to go see if I can have a dental office there. And they, they told me then that they didn't allow anything but commercial shops, you know, like the cheesery and card shops and, and like a dental office wouldn't fit what they wanted to do then. So I ended up on Shelby Street and then 78, got flooded out, <laughs> and so in, in 81, I decided I wasn't going to be in the flood zone again, so I went and checked with the Capitol Plaza again, and then there were several vacancies, and they were glad to have somebody, so that's when I started my dental practice there. Gene handed me a sheet of paper he'd printed out showing old directory entries for the different businesses at Fountain Place over the years. Oh my goodness, it's, a, it's incredible the number of di different businesses that have come and gone in that location. Jean's practice was in a hallway area near the garage entrance facing toward the fountains. It was really a really nice place because the patients would sit in the, the waiting room and the fountains would be going and 
and you know it was a real relaxing thing until they they had to start repairing concrete and <laughs> you talk about fond memories uh, all my operatories were in the back and there were several times that the stairway that went up to the top level of the fountains I mean to the plaza would corrode and uh, and they'd have to block them off and then they'd have to get jackhammers out there and jackhammer them up and sometimes it lasted weeks it seemed like but here's somebody in the dental chair about to have their teeth <laughs> and there's somebody outside with a jackhammer going <laughs> picture that <laughs> there there wasn't enough nitrous oxide to help them out gene's <laughs> office was more than a dental practice a photographer he used the space as a gallery to display his work he made yearly calendars featuring his photography from 1992 to 2007, and his work fills several coffee table books, which are available to purchase at the Capital City Museum. He showed me several pictures he'd collected of the area over the years. This one I thought was really cool because it's from the 1970s, probably right after it was built. The hotel is not there, those two big office buildings aren't there, and that's where the cave uh, I don't know, you probably were not old enough to experience that, but that was a fabulous place. The cave was a bar, a few blocks away from the Capitol Plaza. It was built into the side of the cliff where the transportation cabinet is currently located. The picture Gene showed me predated the Capitol Plaza Hotel's construction. I asked him what he recalled about its beginnings. That's another <laughs> not-so-fond memory, because see, at 78, my office flooded. And I had a five-year lease, so I had to stay there until 1980. And then, of course, then that's when I got to go over in Fountain Place. And my dental office was right where the hotel lobby is right now. And I had the operatories faced out over the valley, and storms would come in from that way. I loved that, that place. And then two years later, they decided to build the hotel. Nobody told me about that after we spent a lot of money, you know, renovating for a dental office. It takes a lot of plumbing. And so two years later, I had to move to the other side. And so the hotel, I guess, we probably started in 1982, 83, something in that, that area. Gene has fond memories, too. He said the location at the center of town helped allow him to form long-term relationships with his patients. Everybody could get to it easy. Parking was covered underneath. It, it was a fabulous place to have an office, a, a dental office, sure. UK taught us to be uh, preventive dentists. So getting six month cleanings and checkups was important and we made stress that to our patients to be able to keep their teeth. So I would see these patients every six months for 20, some of them 30 years, really. It, it, uh, it really affects you because almost everybody is like a friend after that, <laughs> you know, how's everything going? You know? So it really, it really was good, and especially since I started out here from scratch in 75 and fortunately kept a lot of the same people regular for, for that period of time. Because we started a, a, a prepaid dental plan when I was in Fountain Place which allowed people to come to the dentist and pay so much a month. It was through the state uh, and, and, and the other people that wanted to do it. But 
you got free cleanings and free x-rays uh, every six months. And it didn't hurt people's pocketbooks as much. So people kept their appointments. Uh, and they did what they were supposed to do and come in every six months because it didn't, you know, didn't cost each time. I asked Gene what he remembered about the shops and events that Fountain Place held. Well, Capital Expo was just a, a really, really special, especially back when it first started, when it was it had the juried arts and crafts and all the food booths. And as a matter of fact, our office had to close three days, you know, in June because nobody could get to, nobody could park, and, and they set up the, the shops right outside our door, which, you know, it was fine. I was actually even... I was on the expo, expo committees for several years. I was in charge of the fireworks one year. And then in 91, you know, if you stay on these boards long enough, they make you chairman or the president. So I was ahead of expo one year. And uh, so I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Capital Expo. And I, that plaza was just a perfect place for that venue. But as far as the shops, you, you know, I. You know, Ernie and the hair corral, they were one of the long-term tenants and that going over there to get my hair cut all the time and then of course the Jesse's Art Gallery to get frames and of course Capital Camera was down there. Gene made a spreadsheet showing which businesses were open when over the years at Fountain Place. I just picked the certain years along the way to, to see who was there when and there are a whole lot more state offices and insurance offices and law offices filled in the gaps as people left over time. You know, it got to be where they were more dependent, the shops were more dependent on the state tower, uh, all the people in the tower to come over and I guess to have lunch and the shop in uh, Lena's Hallmark store. So, but as, you know, the shopping centers grew up on the outskirts of town, less and less people wanted to drive down, park in that underground parking garage to go shop. So that's why uh, they left and more offices, uh, you know, filled it in. I interviewed Gene in his office in the McClure building, where he's pursued his photography career since his retirement in 2013. The practice he opened 40 years ago is now Birch Court Dental, just off the East-West Connector. Though its namesake seems obvious, it's not actually named after Gene. The Birch of Birchcourt Dental is named for the street it's now on, which in turn is named after Jim Birch, who served as Frankfurt's mayor from 1976 to 1979 and 1984 to 1987. Gene is someone I'm fortunate to spend time with at the Capital City Museum, where he was one of its initial board members alongside Nikki Hughes and Russ Hatter. Russ, too, had a career in Fountain Place at the radio station WFKY. When Russ first moved to Frankfurt in 1965, WFKY was at 307 West Main Street. And we moved around from different areas over the time that I spent in radio, about 37 and a half years here in Frankfurt. And one of those locations was at Fountain Place. And that was an opportunity for the radio station to join the 20th century, so to speak, even though it was 1980 or 79 back in those days. Uh, we created an automated system for the FM station, WKYW, 
and we uh, really had some super broadcasting uh, opportunities down at Fountain Place. The place was new and really exciting for everybody. We had the Associated Press news machine sitting in a position where the public could look through the windows and take a look at what was going on news-wise across the country. It was amazing to see the tapes rolling, you know, and, and things just continually operating by itself. But it was in the early 80s uh, that we were there. Though other folks I interviewed recalled Expo as the main event held at the plaza, Russ was the only one to mention the Fountain Place boat races. Fountain Place obviously had a huge, several fountains in, in the center of it all. And somebody came up with this great idea of having inner tube boat races. And so uh, our little crew, we, we won. We beat the mayor of Frankfurt at the time. I think that was Jim Birch, the late Jim Birch that was mayor. We beat his team on one occasion or two. But it was amazing. I think all this activity going on in the fountain for a couple of years when they did that uh, damaged some of the pipes and things that were there. and Ultimately, it's really created a hazard for the, the fountains. But during the time that it actually went on, it was a lot of fun. Of course, Capital Expo was held uh, every year there at the Fountain Place while we were there, and we did a lot of broadcasting. I remember some of our neighbors, A&D Appliance was located in that building. They had been on Bridge Street for many, many years, and they had joined us. Uh, the A of A&D Appliance was uh, John Arnold, and he was our engineer at the radio station at that time. Next door to us at Fountain Place was uh, Bill Morton and his um, The Mayo Ego, a men's shop, clothing store. I remembered the Buckboard Leather Shop. I don't know if others have told you about them. There was a, a, a shoe store down there that I was talking to Gene Birch the other day trying to identify, I think the, the name of the the shoe store was Nuttery, N-U-T-T-E-R. That's that's a could be a the wrong name, but that's what seems to come to my mind. Uh, Johnny Depp's aunt had the Hallmark shop there. The cheesery, we really enjoyed those little hot dogs at Coney Islands that they would have there. They also had a section that had books, and then there was paperback patties. Bookstore, that was a place I really enjoyed hitting quite often. And uh, the bank was down there, Farmer's Bank, Jesse's Art Gallery was there, uh, Morrison's Cafeteria, and then of course the infamous uh, Jack Pagato's um, uh, restaurant that he had there. If you're a fan of Kentucky Deceased, our seasonal sister podcast hosted by Museum and Historic Sites Supervisor Eleanor Haskin-Wagner, you may recognize the name Jack Pagato, and you may know the story in which his wife, Jean, was murdered inside his restaurant. More on that in a moment. And there was an, uh, a, China, a Chinese restaurant or Italian, I can't remember what it was, but I remembered seeing how the front of it kind of had some opening doors to keep you out of the wind and everything when you went inside. 
Uh, that was located. Ernie's Barber Shop was there. Uh, the Birch uh, Dental uh, Hygiene location. And uh, there was quite a few there that went through. I think when we left, Julian Carroll's law offices uh, took our place. I lost about 50 pounds, maybe 60 pounds at the Diet Center, which was located there located there. They did a promotion with the radio station. They used me as a guinea pig and I, each day I had to report on how I how much I weighed following their instructions and everything. So I had to really do well. So within three months time I really lost a lot of weight for that. Within a year's time of course I put it all back on. During WFKY's time at Fountain Place, the station's general manager was Ed Janeway. Ed was from up in Ohio near Cleveland, and he was an incredible person to work for and a, a wonderful friend of ours. He died early in life in his 50s and had a heart attack, I think, cutting the grass out there at Two Creeks. But Ed um, had worked with the Merv Griffin Show. He was the man who consulted with the talents who would be the guests for Merv Griffin's TV show and everything. And he had a lot of experience and we had a lot of fun with him. He was really a cool guy. It's interesting, I didn't realize, so I had listened to Ellie's podcast um, and I heard her talk about Pagano's for the the murder that happened. Yes. Mm -hmm. Was that, I didn't realize that it was at Fountain Place. It didn't happen at Fountain Place. Uh, he left Fountain Place and went into, had his own restaurant at the corner of High Street, Miro, and Holmes. There was a little store there. He had uh, Jack Pagato's Lounge, and he had the Hatterburger. You could have, get the Hatterburger. It was kind of like Ollie's Trolley uh, over in Louisville. He had this big hamburger. I was on his bowling team and everything. He and I did a five-minute show on the radio about twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays or something like that. And uh, he and I grew, grew to be very good friends. Uh, his wife, Jean, uh, was found dead in the, in the restaurant. And I was leaving town going on vacation, so I wasn't on the air uh, following the murder. And the police thought for a time that maybe I was involved because I was gone. But that morning, the next morning, I did go out to Jack's home. Like I say, he and I were friends, and there wasn't a mark on his body at all uh, from scratches. Uh, whoever that did the killing, she apparently really scratched them and scraped them. And of course, the, they lost a lot of the evidence and everything. It's kind of bizarre, the whole story back in the 70s when that was going on. So I was at Fountain Place then, I guess. Yeah. So um, so most of the people I interviewed, with the exception of Dr. Jean Birch, were affiliated with retail shops. Um, and obviously a radio station has a very different uh, environment with the people who come into a radio station than a retail shop does. And so I'm wondering if you feel like the location being in the middle of town, but also somewhat enclosed was a, was a benefit for, 
for where the radio station was. Yes, it was really a step up for us. Uh, the facility was so nice, all new and everything, and and we had a lot of people that uh, obviously we interviewed. Uh, uh, Wendell Ford, who's a senator and everything, and he was among those. Um, John Y. Brown, the governor, his wife came on several times, former Miss America. And there was a lot of people like that, celebrities, that would come and we could show off the radio station because it was pretty sharp in those days. We, we used to say we had a Cadillac radio station in a Ford town. <laughs> Russ spent 40 years in radio, adopting various voices and personas, which he used both to deliver serious commentary and to entertain. I used to portray Santa Claus on the radio station and... Uh, we had a problem because people would, would come down to the station and they would see me through the windows and know it wasn't really the true Santa Claus. Um, I was just his helper, you know, but I, all the kids believed I was Santa Claus. And I had Rudolph on the air with me. Yeah, oh, I was on the air with, with Russ as, as his helper, and I loved M&Ms, and all the kids gave me all M&Ms. They leave it for me under the tree. It was so much fun. And I had a lot of friends that helped me on a radio station, all coming out of my own mind. My, uh, Louis Pagoda, he was another guy that was there, and Pop Bottle Johnny, and... And no Face Charlie, these were all people that would come on my show and they would get to say what everybody knew and believed, but you couldn't really say um, without getting into trouble. So that was sort of alter egos that were able to speak uh, and get things out that everybody in the community knew what we were talking about, but I could not say it as Russ Hatter. I could only do it that way. When the Capitol Plaza Tower was demolished, Russ watched from the River Bluff overlooking the bowl. Underneath the city of Frankfurt, where Broadway is, is a huge cavern. In one of the history books, um, I think it's L.F. Johnson's History of Franklin County, they talk about trying to fill that cavern at Ann Street and Broadway, they drilled holes and poured concrete. And it went on for three days and they still was unable to fill it. So they gave that up. But I was worried about when the implosion of the state office building, the Capitol Plaza Tower, what if that would cause the whole street to cave in? So I was way, way up on a hill, far from that disaster if it possibly would happen so you know it didn't of course do you feel like when the fountain place shops were there did frankfurt have something that it no longer has now is there a loss there that has been filled or is there a loss there that's still open i to me the biggest loss was the loss of the uh the auditorium that we had there, that was a tremendous loss because the community, uh, it was a perfect place for good basketball tournaments, uh, especially the girls' tournament. There was, they, they've been meeting over at Rupp Arena as well and at EKU on occasion. 
but it was a perfect place to have the graduations and and all sorts of things and once we lost that uh, it just really killed that that along with the Kentucky Book Fair that was a real big loss to us and that started out uh, well actually it started out at the Kentucky Department of Library and Archives and then moved over to the Civic Center for its heydays and um, now I think I'm not sure where they do it I think last year it was at Joseph Best Books so do you feel like what was offered by the Fountain Place shops was filled by things on the east and west side of town and now on Broadway and in downtown? Or do you feel like there are still gaps that um, there is an unfulfilled need for for maybe specialty shops like the, like the Fountain Place had? It was so, Frank Bridge is just a small community. We're not big enough to maintain, uh, like right now in downtown Frankfurt, we have uh, new bars that are opening and new restaurants that are opening in downtown. But if you'll notice, about every fourth building or so, it's a vacant spot. Uh, that something didn't go on, and it didn't work there. And, and that's just the way it is uh, when you're in a downtown area. That's the reason that they started opening up businesses on the east and west side of town. It was, for, it was more easy, I suppose, for people to, um, to shop in those areas. Uh, the Eastwood Shopping Center opened up in the late 50s, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe the early 60s. I wasn't here when it started, but it was really a popular place. Sears Company was there, no longer there. Times change, things change. Uh, the Amazon and uh, uh, Walmarts and things of those natures. We live in a constant flux of change and you have to either roll with the flow or get off the boat and drown. <laughs> the um, Do you feel like part of downtown Frankfurt's limitations have a geographical a component in that there's a bowl. I, I think about this sometimes, but I, I never know how to talk about it, and I wasn't sure if you had any thoughts about it. There is a geographical limiting to how big downtown Frankfurt can be. Yes, and I'm so glad we had it that way because that's the reason we have most of the old buildings that we have. So rather than tear things down and build new stuff, they moved to the east and the west and created their businesses out there. Uh, that's one advantage, but I think it was a negative advantage for parking and everything, you know. We used to have parking meters in our town. Uh, we had parking garages, but a lot of people just don't want to get into a parking garage for whatever reason, I don't know. But um, it's, it's always been a problem. Parking is a persistent theme in the story of Fountain Place shops and the Capitol Plaza complex. Some people, like Gene and Mr. Morton from our previous episode, found it convenient. Others, the majority of those I spoke with, found it distinctly unpleasant and a primary cause of people dispersing to the east and west side shopping centers. But no one had any objections to its necessity. It makes sense, then, that the plot's future development includes 300 new, free public parking spaces. 
I spoke with Chuck Knowles, who works for the city of Frankfurt as the project manager for two of the new developments where Fountain Place once stood. He told me the site of the Capitol Plaza complex was divided into three parcels, A, B, and C. On parcel A, uh, they built the Mayo Underwood building uh, as a state office building, which allowed them to consolidate a lot of the uh, offices that were using rental space around Frankfurt to move them into a state building. Then on parcels B and C, the state decided to sell those uh, parcels. Uh, it was about 12 acres. And then uh, they put it out on the street and uh, found a, a buyer uh, that bought, bought roughly the 12 acres of parcels B and C. And of course, I think that property, new property owner decided that you know they were going to uh, team up with somebody to redevelop that 12 acres into a mixed-use development, retail, uh, commercial, uh, restaurants, uh, housing, that type of thing. So uh, there was a vision set forth for the redevelopment of parcels B and C. And part of that redevelopment was a parking garage. Um, because the goal at, at some future time was to demolish um, the YMCA and the parking garage that's uh, associated with that on Parcel C. So the hotel would have nowhere for its patrons to park. So the city, or the, I'm sorry, the state committed to, uh, as part of the sale of the property, for the owner to build, a resp be responsible for a 300 car parking garage for the, for the hotel. So they got started in October of uh, 2022 uh, with the design process and then uh, they've just recently started construction uh, back in late May I believe. Uh, actually clearing the site uh, and now they're now uh, constructing the foundation for the parking garage which is all underground uh, it basically is consisting of about 150 concrete columns that will go all the way down to bedrock so the garage will sit on top of those 150 concrete columns. Chuck says the parking garage project is estimated to be completed in March of 2024. Still, the answer to limited parking isn't always more spaces. Sometimes it's fewer cars which is why the other project Chuck is managing on the site is particularly exciting to me. We have about a 5,000 square foot transit center which will be consisting of uh, administrative offices for the tra Frankfurt Transit folks as well as a public waiting area indoors which we currently don't have. Uh, when people transfer buses say over on Clinton Street, uh, the buses you can usually see them two, three or four buses sitting there and people are waiting outdoors and in the wintertime and in the heat of the summer that's not very comfortable. So this public waiting area is going to provide indoor uh, space for people to have restrooms and to sit down and to wait for their buses and to transfer. Uh, so that's we're excited about that also and I think Frankfurt Transit folks which are currently out off of Bald Knob Road uh, they're anxious to get in, into town and, and uh, allow their buses to uh, meet customers and riders here in town. The transit center will include a display created in partnership with the Capital City Museum 
that provides context about the space's roots in urban renewal and the community which it displaced half a century ago. I asked Eleanor Haskin-Wagner to tell me more. One of the interesting challenges of the construction of the new transit center is this idea of cultural mitigation, which essentially, in terms of any project that's funded by a large grant, just means how can you offset the construction and creation of this new place in an area that has historically served multiple purposes. As we know, the new transit center is going on the site of the Capitol Plaza, which was a program and project that was the offshoot of urban renewal that resulted in the destruction of a community called Crawfish Bottom here in Frankfurt. So the museum's goal in partnership with the city is to provide context and appreciation and positionality for the new transit center in a historic area of our community. What has this site been? What purposes has it served? And who was impacted by the changing use of that space over time? Fountain Place meant many things to many people over many years. Today, as it undergoes its most recent metamorphosis, I can't help but be struck by the irony of what it's becoming. Not only a parking garage, but a direct line to those same shopping centers it competed with on the east and west sides of town. The point of this project isn't weepy nostalgia. It's the acknowledgement that the world changes and that we can honor the past while still being excited about the future. We work to build a world that fills our needs now, with the understanding that someday it too will change. Our world is not static, thank goodness, and I'm so excited to explore that ever-changing landscape with you. I offer my thanks to my guests, Jean Birch, Russ Hatter, Chuck Knowles, and Eleanor Haskin-Wagner. Thank you to the Capital City Museum for providing constant support, to the City of Frankfurt for making this production possible, and to you, listener, for sharing your time here with me. Any Old Place acknowledges the long history of life in the land we now know as Frankfort, Kentucky, which has been home to Cherokee, Osage, Uchi, and Shawnee peoples. Any Old Place is a production of the Capital City Museum in Frankfort, Kentucky. To learn more about the Capital City Museum, visit CapitalCityMuseum.com or come visit Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. This program has been recorded, edited, and produced by me, Clay Wallace. I offer it to you, listener, with the belief that story grounds you in both space and time, and with the hope that it inspires you to befriend the world around you. You can find something worth tending in any old place.